Welcome to Paradigms on WBKM. This is episode number 138, Sunday, February 10th, 2013. Hi there, welcome to Paradigms. My name is Baruch, I'm your host, and happy to be here this Sunday night. I'm enjoying the aftermath of the snowstorm and hoping you are too and that you and yours are well. Tonight's show is, as always, a combination of some talk and some music. Paradigms is intended to explore visions of a viable future for life on Earth that includes humans. So what's working and what can work? We hear so much about the terrible things that are happening in the world that people do, and there's a lot of them. And there are a lot of great things that people do, too, that we don't always hear about. And so tonight's show is no exception. Uh, We have three different guests, which is really exciting. Well, four, actually. Uh, My first guest is Hector Aristizabal. Hector has been on the show before, and he is an amazing man who's been through truly horrific experiences and come out of it really a healer and a, a, a person with a global perspective that is making an amazing difference. So I hope you'll listen to that interview and get something from it. I did. I got a lot out of talking with Ektar. So we'll be talking with him, and then we're also going to meet Kyle and Jack from Kateka.com, and they're doing something really kind of new, which is, uh, well, you'll hear all about it, but they are promoting a certain kind of responsible tourism. So that's very interesting. And then our friend Jimmy Ryan will close out the show by introducing his brand new CD, Reedville. Very exciting. And Jimmy will be in the Montpelier area next weekend, giving a workshop and a little show. So I hope you'll check that out. The music, of course, is great. His music is always great. So that's tonight's show. So let's head right into it and uh, hear the first part of my conversation with Hector Aristizabal. Hector, you are doing all kinds of amazing work in the world to explore and unpack and teach and learn about human violence and healing. And I'm curious to know what your thoughts are. Uh, We've been in the United States recently experiencing many publicized killings of children. And people are very upset, as they well should be, uh, understandably. And at the same time, the United States is engaged as a nation in the killing of children in other countries. And I can't help but notice these two things occurring simultaneously. And I wanted to ask you about it. What are your thoughts? Ah, wow. Where where to begin? I mean, I, I, one of the places that I have been able to work recently is Afghanistan. And um, 
and uh, and now I only think about people in Pakistan and Yemen and all these places where the Obama administration has been dropping uh, bombs using drones and. Uh, the last statistic I read was 160 children that had been killed by those drones dropped by the United States. I know that uh, here every year over 1,800 children are killed with weapons, usually the weapons of their parents that they kept in their homes for protection. We all know also that most people are killed with their own weapons including law enforcement who have been trained to use them and who have permission to use them. So uh, why why is this that we, all of a sudden when there is a, a horrible massacre like the recent one at the school, the society seems to have a, a strong reaction, uh, but in both ways. Uh, uh, there was a huge increase in the purchase of weapons and also the outcry for some people of what are we doing as a society. And it's not an easy thing to look at. I, I feel that the jihad is in ourselves as well as outside. But it's mostly the, the old definition of jihad is the struggle inside ourselves with our own tendencies for destruction uh, or in other terms for evil. And this country seems to me has been obsessed with an idea that we are innocent, that what we do is for the good, for, is for good, is for that we participate in wars for good reasons, that we, uh, our job in the world is to protect democracy and to support democracy and Christianity and capitalism or free market as they call it, when we all know that that's not true. But most people here is, don't seem to be informed or want to hear that, that other part of the story. And also there are so many contradictions in our society. Racism has not stopped, quite the opposite. Statistically, a black man is, more black men are killed by white men in all different status. Now that when we had the lynchings during the time that racism was, was open, uh, the killing of women uh, has increased, is growing in numbers, the abuse of children. And some people might say that it's because now we have more ways to, to find out what has happened, that it has always been there. But why hasn't it been reduced, the amount of people who die even from preventable diseases, even in the United States? But the problem is that we're always being told that these are things that happen everywhere else and we want to continue living in this bubble of denial that that characterizes uh, most people's uh, lack of awareness. So let's let's look at for a moment. You said something really important. I'm going to reduce it. You know, basically we in the United States like to think of ourselves as the good guys. Yes. And as soon as a person thinks of I'm the good guy, then someone else must be the bad guy. And there you have black and white polarized thinking, which in fact isn't how the world really is. We're not the good guys. We're also not the bad guys. We're a combination. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because it's not that we are the bad guys either. That would be too simplistic also. is that we have so many contradictions in, in the way we live. And, and so we're, we have made so many choices in our lifestyle that are unsustainable and the only way to keep it 
is by going out and getting the resources of the world and going out and supporting regimes that even though we know torture and oppress their populations, we don't seem to care. And we are very, we, we choose who our enemies are and who our allies are and choose not to see that sometimes we are supporting terrible things uh, around the world and, and inside uh, our own uh, borders. So uh, it, it takes a lot of transformation in a, in a society and, of course, in the individuals that live in that society to be able to confront the contradictions in ourselves and the, the disparity and the oppressions and the inequalities I mean, women in general, uh, the way we treat women in, in our society, even though there has been a lot of things that have been gained, women still make less money than any men in the same professions. So that disparity uh, is over half of the, of the population, not only in the United States, but also in the world. And yes, there are women in worse conditions in, in other places, but it's still here. Still in the United States, we have that the treatment of children, uh, our educational system. But for as long as we are made believe, to believe that we're number one and that things are terrible everywhere else, it's hard to look inside and it's hard to try for change. And, and in order to do that, we need to engage our imagination, which is the work that we do. We go, we go in communities and we invite people to use their imagination to look at alternatives to to the conflicts and the problems and the issues that we all face. So we don't get overwhelmed with just feeling paralyzed with the, with the problems, but we look for alternatives. We, we engage with each other in, in looking for, not the answer, but for alternative ways of, of transforming uh, reality. That was the first part of our conversation. Here's a piece of music from Jaluka called Spirit is the Journey. Together we flow, we hold on, 
sparkling in your eyes Sharing my confusion Sharing my surprise At finding part of me in you Alive Cause nobody told me Luca from South Africa, great band. That was Johnny Clegg's band back before Savuka and before he went out on his own. Here's the second part of my conversation with Hector. So when a person can come to the point of understanding that it's not about good or bad and that they don't have to be defensive and say, no, we're not bad, we're the good guys. Or, you know, if when people can come to the point of understanding that it is about the the inner conflicts of our destructive impulses and our constructive or altruistic impulses, then what? What do you do with that inner conflict? I think I can better explain my, my ideas around your question. Uh, when I talk about my own process, I was tortured when I was 22 years old. I was tortured by the Colombian army the people that are supposed to protect citizens. They didn't have anything against me. They, I was just suspicious because I was a student at a university, and I was a person who did theater, political theater. So they had no reason to, to justify torturing me. And not that there is any reason to justify torture anywhere. But um, 
So for many years, I hated anyone in a uniform, not only soldiers, but policemen and policewomen. I even hated priests and even businessmen in, in what I consider a uniform, in a business attire. I will not believe them. And by doing that, I dehumanize them and I dehumanize myself. So in my own healing process, I have to overcome these things. And for example, now I'm working more and more with ex-combatants in Colombia, in, in Northern Ireland, and I'm very interested in working with veterans, with soldiers coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. I completely disagree ideologically with these words, but I empathize with the the drama of these men and women coming back to the United States and being asked to swallow and to to act like soldiers, quote unquote, and forget about what they have done. And one of the consequences of that is that more than 28 veterans are committing suicide every day in the United States. And the country doesn't seem to want to know that. More than one person coming back from Afghanistan are committing suicide every day in the United States. These numbers are almost impossible to, to, to fathom. So now I'm working with, quote-unquote, the people who torture me. Also, my brother was kidnapped, tortured, and killed in Colombia by the paramilitary death squads. A month ago, I was in Northern Ireland working with paramilitaries of the UBF and the UDF, the Ulster Defense Force and the Ulster Voluntary Force, the Protestant side of the conflicts of the troubles in Northern Ireland. And I was thinking once, these are the men <clears throat> whose ideology led them to do things very similar to the people who killed my brother, who horribly tortured him. And so what am I doing? And <clears throat> what I feel is I'm constantly asking the question, what led a human being, what leads us as people to, to do what we do when we're faced with circumstances uh, like the ones we face every day? a soldier that is being asked to obey orders and torture people or interrogate people. Uh, you are familiar with these social experiments, uh, the, social, the experiments that social scientists like Simbardo yes. uh, did. Um, uh, with the shocking, yes, yes. Yes, with the shock and also the, the students that were being asked to be prisoners and other half of students, exactly the same background, etc., to be the jailers. And in less than three days, the jailers had become monsters uh, as a way to exercise their power over the students that were the prisoners, and they had to stop the experiment, and two, at least two of the students had, uh, had nervous breakdowns, even though they knew this was just supposedly an experiment. Simbardo wrote a book called The Lucifer Effect, and his question is, what is it that makes us, under certain circumstances, become evil? Or to do things that are against our moral uh, belief system? Uh, and the, a better question is, how in all these experiments that now has, have been done all over the world, why is it that only 17, 20% of people say no? They said to the experimenter, they said, even though I sign a paper, even though the other person that they don't see but they know is supposedly suffering, signed the, the, the agreement, I refuse to continue doing this. What does it take for a person to, to take that moral stand? And that's a question that we have as a country right now. We know for a fact now that this country has engaged in torture. I knew that for many years. 
But since the Bush administration and 9-11, it has become no longer covert. It has become overt. It's clear that we agree on torture. Bush and Cheney in their biographies said, yes, that they supported wireboarding and they will do it again. And the country now knows. Uh, the recent report just came out that 54 countries uh, participated in the war on terror, uh, either by kidnapping or offering any kind of help to, take, to torture uh, uh, suspected terrorists. So there's a lot that we, that we have to look at uh, in terms of our quote-unquote moral stand uh, as a country. What happened to your hatred? It transformed. It is um, hatred. I mean, I'm not saying that it's, ter- it's wrong uh, or anger. Anger is what keeps us alive. Anger is what uh, makes us hard enough to protect ourselves when someone is attacking us. Uh, hatred, the problem with hatred, is it, it either it, it would have led me to kill someone, which I did in my mind. <laughs> I never... I never hurt anyone outside. I was once in a conference and I said, I have killed many people and tortured many people. Uh, and my son got up and said, Dad, you are a liar. Why are you saying those things? You're, you're the best person I know. <laughs> you cry even watching television. You know, you, and I laugh and I said, no, God, I'm saying I have been able to do that in my imagination. I had been able to, to symbolize my hatred, my anger, my despair, my, my desires for revenge, I had been able to symbolize that. So I don't need to go and, and act it out in the world. When we have these mass murderers, uh, one of the things that, that you rapidly see in the news is the neighbors saying, oh, that person was so quiet. No one will suspect that he could do something like that. Because you wonder where these people, how can these people be symbolizing their their anger, their fears, their hatred, or their feelings of inferiority, or their desires to be seen? And now the media provides such a great scenario for people to become famous overnight by killing innocent people, you know? Hector talking about uh, his work in Ireland inspired me to pick this song to play for you. This is an Irish musician named Paul Brady. from a town He said he'd bring a proposition For a man when he's down He's gonna buy me an airplane Gonna teach me how to fly Take me to America Gonna make mama cry When I hear that lonesome train whistle blow 
That was Paul Brady, Living the Mystery, from his album Hooba Duba. And now here is the third and final part of my conversation with Hector Aristizabal, talking about how the United States can become a more peaceful country. So what happened to that? I, I hope that it's been transformed with the help of friends and love and and therapy and, and, and imagination and the capacity to create art and theater and and stories and poetry from from that experience. We're all here to to learn from the wounds that we that we go through as human beings. And and our job is to find meaning in that, to, to create meaning from that, is not to become victims or uh, or pathologies, you know. Yeah. Beautifully said. Thank you. I don't know what else I can ask you. I, I think everyone who's listening to this, and hopefully everyone who isn't, <laughs> is at some point stopping and looking at their own inner conflict with their own anger or their own capacity to do these things. And I think, you know, in psychology, we talk about the shadow and how the unacknowledged shadow has a lot of power and that when you acknowledge your shadow, as you said, you, you paid attention to your anger uh, that you had when you, when we acknowledge that part of ourselves, then we, we make it conscious and we can make choices about what we do with those feelings. But when we don't acknowledge the shadow, when we tell ourselves, my country is good, the other is bad, when we disown the part that can be what we would call bad or destructive, when we disown ourselves from that, we are actually giving it the pow- more power. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it was John that said that an increase in power is an increase in the shadow. Uh, as well, and and if we don't know how to deal with the shadow, we can become incredibly dangerous and destructive, and self-righteous, and especially someone who has been wounded. I mean, I could justify in a million ways rationally why I should ca- kill people, and why I should uh, attack the government or attack the army, or you know. And when they when they went ahead and and captured my my brother and tortured him, kidnapped him and tortured him, and shot him in the head after cutting him in pieces, I believe me, I I could imagine so many reasons why I had the right to go and and do the same, as I did in my nightmares, as I did in my fantasies, as I did sometimes even. Even when I look at people and and thought these ignorant people who who justify who support with their taxes the the governments that do what they did to my brother and so I start fantasizing even with with hurrying people that had nothing to do with me or with my brother that must have been like poison inside you totally and and that's and of course, as I said, I will never act that out. I, I'm more interested in making love than killing anyone, or doing or dancing or or doing a play than than destroying things. Then I I'm forced to uh, to transform that energy, to transform all those thought processes, and find ways to to engage in this kind of dialogue that you and I are having because I really don't have the answers. And I'm trying every day to figure out how I respond to this in myself and in the world. And I think the best way we can participate in the conversations is by dealing with our own woundedness, our own shadow, 
and hopefully engaging in our own unique ways of coping and creating uh, who we are and discovering who we are in the world. And that's how we give to the world. That's how we participate in the ongoing creation of the world. Thank you for bringing it around. <laughs> uh, thank you, my friend. <laughs> Thanks for the opportunity to, to talk with you and, and your listeners. The political importance of personal work, uh, I think, can't be underestimated. I know sometimes people feel that the, the personal work, the inner work, is an indulgence and that the political work is in the street. But I don't agree. I think both are necessary and more. And the personal work, as Hector and I were talking about, of learning to acknowledge the shadow, learning to see the parts of ourselves that are capable of doing terrible things and dealing with that part of ourselves, feeling the feelings and working them through so we don't act out the terrible things. I think this is something that needs to become more widespread because then people will be less violent. I think as a society here in the United States, we're just beginning to actually face the fact that we are a violent society and that our country is violent towards others and that there is a link between the violent behavior of our country and the violence in our society. I think to treat those two things as if they are in no way connected is a mistake. So, lots to think about. Now we're going to hear a couple of tunes. The first one from LTJ Bukem from the Zen Connection album. It's called Journey Inwards. And after that, we're going to be hearing from a wonderful band out of Barcelona, Spain, called Poet in Process. So, stick around.
causing you worlds This infected world one has become selfishness I'm dying here So you're superior to us all And that gives you the right to destroy Poet in Process, from their album Long Time No See. The song is called Unlearn the Learned. Poet in Process is out of Barcelona, and I'm hoping very much to interview some of the members of that band sometime soon and feature them on Paradigms. I found that song to be quite appropriate and wonderfully done. And before that, Living the Mystery, from LTJ Bookham, from the Zen Connection album. Always good music for some inner journeying. Well, now we're going to change it up a bit, and we're going to learn about kateka.com. And if you're online right now, you might want to get their website up while you hear the interview. K-E-T-E-K-A dot com. And here is the first part of my conversation with two of the principals of Kateka, Kyle Wiggins and Jack Fischel. One of the other founders, Adam Armstrong, is in Cambodia right now, and we weren't able to get a decent uh, telephone connection, so he's not part of this conversation. But, but Adam, you're, you're here in spirit. Here's the first part of that interview. I'm here with Jack and Kyle, who are two of the three guys that have started a website called Kateka.com. Tell us about Kateka.com. What is it? Okay, well, this is Kyle. Kateka is a online 
community-based adventure travel guide that uh, leverages the Peace Corps network around the world in order to promote tourism uh, in developing communities and in developing countries. And the idea with Kateka is that we want to try and offer a more authentic traveling experience for, for our travelers, but also we want to try to help developing communities uh, bring tourists to those areas. Kateka came out of uh, the fact that the three of us were all Peace Corps volunteers working in Panama, and we were all working with ecotourism. And the, the biggest problem that we found was, although we were living in beautiful, beautiful areas and remote areas of the world, we felt like uh, there were a lot of barriers to entry in terms of the tourism industry. It was very difficult to try to get people, you know, basically to get our communities on the map or get our communities online. And mainly it's because, you know, the areas where we work, obviously with PD score, are very poor. Um, they don't have access to computers or technology, uh, the Internet. And so basically what we decided was we were going to try to bridge that gap um, and try to help these communities get online. Um, and so we built this. We started building a website just the second year of our service. Now that we're out of the Peace Corps, we want to continue that project. and We want to make sure that this is a very sustainable thing for developing communities all over the world. That's pretty interesting. So the three of you just all kind of recognize this gap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're all we're all working in tourism in our communities, and we are seeing varying degrees of success. And we are seeing sorry, this is Jack, by the way. We are seeing varying degrees of success, and we are seeing that the community members wanted it, and also that the tourists that came, a lot of times they'd say stuff like, you know, this was the highlight of my trip. I really enjoy this. This is something really different. And so we started to think that okay, there's all these communities that want tourism and all these people that want to go to these more authentic, sort of real communities in these countries, but they're having trouble accessing each other. Huh. It's a pretty interesting idea. And, and to bring in, you know, all of the, the Peace Corps sort of network into the, the modern parlance of networking and, and leverage that is it's pretty creative. Thanks. You know, it's an interesting thing. I, I I checked out your website and I was looking at what y'all are doing. And tourism has a mixed rap in the world. You know, I mean, on the one hand, people like traveling, and I like traveling, and we like going places and seeing things and meeting different people and experiencing different cultures. And at the same time, tourism can be exploitive and sort of colonialistic, and and there's a down there can be a downside. And so I'm curious what your thoughts are about that and how Kateka is not participating in the downside. Okay. Well, this is Kyle, and I, I think we both probably have an answer for this. And if Adam were here, he'd have a lot to say about it as well. <laughs> but uh, what I'll say is one of the things during our Peace Corps service um, that we kind of had to come to grips with was we, or we, what we had to figure out was, okay, is tourism a bad thing or a good thing? You know, you, know, you hear, like you were kind of citing, Sometimes tourism can be seen as some, as exploitive, where you know you know basically people come in and, and they take advantage of, of you know a native person's land um, or their situation or location, and, and then use that to, to sell to tourists and then make a lot of money off of those people and off of their culture. In this case, what we were seeing is that okay, we were working in communities where where people, the local people, you know, we we lived there for two years, we we get to know those people very well, they become like family and where they are asking us to help them kind of create tourism in those communities. 
And what we really found was that the, bi the big difference from the between what we're doing and kind of those exploiter situations is normally in those exploiter situations you have, you know, a big kind of mobile or business come into an area, not really know much about that area, and then build their own business and, and put everything in, in their favor. So basically, you know, all of the money, the majority of the money is going to end up going to the Donald Trump or to, you know, to that big business guy that comes in and sets up a hotel or a bed and breakfast. Um, and then he's going to try to employ the locals and maybe they receive some of that money. All right. Very interesting. Uh, new way to think about tourism. Here's some music from Colombia from Echimosis. It's called La Tierra. Fuera. 
fuera de este mundo, de este mundo soñador, que te atrapa en un rincón, que castiga con pasión, ay que mundo soñador. That was La Tierra from Equimosos. And now we're going to hear the second part of my conversation with Jack and Kyle from Kateka.com. This is a situation where we're just highlighting the natural and cultural resources and also kind of tourist attractions that have actually come from those people. So, for instance, you know, in Adam's community, which is Rio Este in Bocas del Toro, that's one of the communities that's, that's on the Anarchitega Guide for Panama. They have created a chocolate tour, and they sell their own chocolate, and that's a business that, you know, while they had the help of Peace Corps volunteers, it's a business that was their idea, it's a business that they built, and it is a, it's a business where all of that money is going back into their own community, and none of it is going to any kind of outside source. Really, that's the kind of experience that we want to highlight. I mean, it's, it's that tour within a span of two years, became the number one tour for Bogus, uh, which is a really popular tourist destination in Panama, became the number one tour for Bogus on TripAdvisor and the number two tour in all of Panama um, on TripAdvisor. And that is a tour that was completely you know, conceived and built by the people of Bogus del Toro, the indigenous village there in Bogus del Toro. That is so cool. And I just want to add something really quickly. This is Jack. For any listeners that are on the, the website right now, sort of following along, in our About section, we have a commitment to sustainable travel. And so, you know, that's a, some policies of ours that we discuss. And it's, in, in short, it's a commitment to work with local groups. And if we ever fall out of contact with those local groups, then we'll, we'll take actions to, to make sure that we either get the contact back or if things seem to be going the way we that we don't want them to go, then, you know, we'll, we'll divest from that. So we're very committed to doing this the responsible way. Right, which means that, you know, while we're, you know, we're excited to expand to all of the Peace Corps countries, all of the countries where Peace Corps volunteers serve, I think there's about 76 countries where there are Peace Corps volunteers. And so that's, you know, that's our goal is basically to, to get Kateka, to expand the Kateka network to all of those countries. But at the same time, we, you know, we're trying to be careful about the way we do it. So this is sort of one of those, it's a, it's a patient project. You know, we don't want to, you know, kind of just flood the situation with people and money and then just, you know, have to not make, you know, make decisions based off of other criteria. I mean, we, we learned a lot during our service. Um, we learned a lot about sustainable tourism. One, the biggest thing that we learned is that it, it takes time. And so this is a, this is a project that we're really committed to. Um, and that we're, we're committed to for as long as it takes, you know, to make it successful. Sounds like you've been very thoughtful about this. Trying to be, yeah. yeah. Trying to be as thoughtful <laughs> as possible and also as practical as possible. And sometimes those two things, you know, it, I, I mean, I think we live in a society where people can try to say that you can't, you can't do both. You can't be business pragmatic and also be very thoughtful at the same time. But, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to go against that and we're trying to integrate the two. And I think that we can do it. I think, I think that, you know, a lot of people, you know, really do 
when it comes down to it. I mean, they really do care about others and they, they care about what's going on in the developing world and about, you know, responsible travel. And I think as long as, as long as everyone's kind of willing to take time, you know, to really develop this, then I think we'll, I think we'll be okay. I think it's going to end up being very successful. We've been able to get a lot of support, early support from other, you know, returned Peace Corps volunteers and even some current Peace Corps volunteers. And one thing, one distinction that we do want to make clear is that we are not a Peace Corps organization. And while there are people in the Peace Corps, or, you know, we have a lot of friends in Peace Corps, and that's because that is what, you know, that's where, where this came from, where our experience there. You know, the Peace Corps doesn't officially endorse kind of any any organizations or any businesses. I mean, it's a nonprofit kind of a separate thing. So we don't want to we don't want to you know be misleading people and having them think that we're sponsored by the Peace Corps. We are not. We are just an organization that has come out of the Peace Corps experience, and we've been able fortunate to have a lot of Peace Corps volunteers and returned Peace Corps volunteers get involved in terms of making it making it as, success, as successful as can be. If you go to our page, I think you can see on the front page, we have a little widget that's we are currently um, doing a, a crowdfunding campaign on uh, Indiegogo. And if you just go, if you go to our page, you can see that on the front page. And, you know, we just encourage people to take a look at our campaign. If they can contribute, we'd, that we'd be so grateful for that and to help us be able to get to the rest of the Peace Corps countries. And even if they can't, just spreading the word would be, it, it does so much. Posting the campaign on your Facebook page or just saying it looks cool, that really helps us a lot. Going off of what Kyle just said, yeah, at this point, the, the best thing that we can hope for is being the startup that we are and in the early phases is that we just want people using the website. And, you know, one way to interact with it is through our campaign page, but another way is just to go through, look at the destinations. There's a feedback button that follows you. You know, we, we would love to hear more about what, how you think we could improve. And we love any kind of feedback about what potential tourists might want to see or what they do like about the website and everything, because, you know, ultimately we want people going through here, looking at the experiences and then using them to travel. All right. Well, that's great. Thank you very much for talking with me. And it's an interesting project that I think, uh, you know, I think as more and more people want to travel outside of the box, as it were, this is a great resource. Well, thanks. Yeah, yeah thanks for having us. I was pretty happy to learn about this website and their crowdfunding campaign. I hope you'll check it out. And if you're someone who loves to travel and has the ability to do so, and some of us find that it's affordable at times and sometimes it's not, uh, but if you're ever able to and you want to go somewhere and have an experience that's a real experience of a different place and a different culture, check out kateka.com. See what what they're offering, what what information they've got, and what kind of places they're able to hook you up with. It'd be pretty interesting. Here's a song from Widespread Panic called Jaded Tourist. And after this, we'll be back with some music from Jimmy Ryan, and we'll hear from Jimmy about his new CD on Paradigms on WBKM.
I've Got a Feeling. That's Jimmy Ryan from his 2002 CD, Lost Diamond Angel. Great stuff. And now we're going to hear from Jimmy about his new CD. And then we'll hear a couple of tracks from that. And then we're winding up the show. So with no further ado, Jimmy Ryan. Jimmy Ryan, welcome back to Paradigms. Hey, thanks. Nice to be here. Appreciate it. You have a great new CD. Tell us about it. Okay, well, it's called Reedville, and that's called Reedville because I recently, in the last year or so, moved from uh, living in the middle of Boston in a neighborhood called Brighton, a nice, fine Irish neighborhood, to a, to a town called Dedham, just the other side of a Hyde Park neighborhood of, of Boston. And it's cool because it's called Reedville Manor, where I'm at. It's like a little holler. It reminds me of, like, uh, Winooski. You know? It's not very populated. It's less populated than Winooski right now, yeah. And it's right by the Blue Hills, so it's nice hiking and stuff. And there's this, the only ski area in the city, around Boston is right there. You can see it from my house. It was built by the CCC back in the 1930s. And anyway, it's a nice spot. So the record's called Reedville because that's where I wrote most of the songs. And uh, I wrote it with a couple buddies of mine, Ed Bremer and Dave Westner. And it was a lot of fun to do. And those guys are great to work with. Well, you know, your music is always a combination of sort of foot stomping and, and uh, chin scratching because there's, you know, stuff to think about, but there's also just great rhythms and, and great uh, mando licks and, and wonderful vocals. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, I like to mix it up as well. Yeah. 
what's happening with you musically these days that you're most excited about? Well, this week, um, that record, I guess, and being able to like start to go out and play it live and, and turn people on to it. Like, you know, the big thing now is just, you know, I'm not really worried about world domination anymore in my old age. I just consider like the whole local movement, like local food, local music, you know, just like when I was living in Burlington, when I was a kid, it was local music. You know, it's like everybody played around town, all the different bands. It's kind of like that here, and there's a little scene here in Somerville, Cambridge, um, with local roots rock bands, bluegrass bands. So I have like a couple, three or four bands, and we're, you know, well, I was just today working with a, a group called Mandomania, and it's like four mandolin players, and we're working on a pre-production for a recording that we're going to do soon this spring. So we're working on that today for a while. And, you know, Bluegrass Band plays every Monday night at a joint called Atwoods in Cambridge, and we're getting writing songs for a new record, for our first record with that band, and, you know, stuff like that. Nice. And you have a workshop that you're going to be teaching coming up, too, right? Yes, on February 16th at the Summit School of Music in Montpelier. What's the workshop? Well, um, I, I'll be doing the mandolin workshop with Mark Spencer, my old buddy from Blood Oranges, and before that, Pinhead and Decent Steve. Um, he's doing a guitar workshop, and uh, I think it's like 2 in the afternoon in, at the school, Summit School in Montpelier. It's on 46 Berry Street, I believe. And Mark's doing a guitar workshop. I'm doing a mandolin workshop. Then in the evening, we're going to get together and do one of our duo shows that we do every once in a while. We mostly have been we do them in New York every once uh, last yeah, we played a benefit for Mark a couple in December because he got hit by Superstorm Sandy here and uh, lost a lot of uh, crap and, and stuff. And So we had a benefit for him down in Brooklyn and we did our duo show. It's so much fun because we've been playing together for so long and just stuff just flies out, you know? That's nice. You know, we don't even try to control it. The show is Saturday evening at 7 at the music school? Yeah, I believe it. I, I'm not sure exactly where the venue is in Montpelier at the, at the music school, but... It's somewhere in Montpelier. Nice. How's that for specifics? I, you know, it's good enough for me. I <laughs> figure <laughs> it's not. You'll find it. That's yeah. awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking to me, and I'm really glad you're going to come do do some stuff up here. And if I can make it to that show, I will. I probably will. And uh, let's go. Let me know. And uh, we'll see you soon. Okay. Thanks for having me. Say hi to everybody. Hey, everybody up there. Yeah. Uh, okay. Take care. I hope you'll check out Jimmy's new CD, Reedville, and if you're in the Montpelier area, maybe go to his mandolin workshop at the music school or check out his show. I'm sure that the folks at the music school would know where he and Mark Spencer will be playing. So now we're going to hear a song from Jimmy's new CD, Reedville, and then I'll be back to close out the show. This one's called Every Word. Cut 
That's Jimmy Ryan with every word from his new CD, Reedville. His music's always good. I just, I think he's he's always on to something great. So we come to the end of another episode of Paradigms. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope you'll check out the Paradigms website, paradigms.bz, and there you will find links to Hector's work, who was the first guest on the show tonight, and a link to kateka.com, and also a link to Jimmy Ryan's music. So all of the guests on tonight's show are accessible to you through the Paradigms website. Also, all of our shows are archived there, as well as in iTunes. So check out our past episodes, and you can also see on the website usually what's coming up next week. Remember to look for Paradigms on Facebook. It's Facebook slash ParadigmsBZ. Subscribe to our Twitter feed, which is also ParadigmsBZ. And uh, we'll see you next week. Have a great week. Stay warm, stay dry, stay cool, whatever it is you need, wherever you are in the world. And uh, lots of love, and we'll be back next time on Paradigms on WBKM. I'm going to leave you with another song from Jimmy Ryan's new CD, Reedville. This one's called Just Like You. Have a great week.
You've been listening to Paradigms on WBKM.org. Thank you.